West Wolves, good morning. Hey, thank you. Will you thank David and the worship team and Bob for bringing us through worship this morning? And uh, I think, Bob, I, I walked in and I thought this was the new pulpit right here. I was just going to have it go up and down and around the room, but we, we decided not to. We got this one, though. We got this one, which is a little easier to move. So thank you for being with us. If you're here in person or those of you joining us in line, if we've not met, my name's Nathan, and uh, I love to say I get to be pastor here. And um, God just continues to remind me how faithful he is. And so um, thank you. Thank you for being here. Well, last week, if you joined us last week, we um, have been moving through the Gospel of Mark over the last year, and we've taken some breaks, so that's why it's taken a little while. But uh, hopefully you've discovered in the last year that when you slow down, okay, I, I know in our day and age of Bible plans and make it through, it's like volume, right? Everything's volume. Just get through and how many chapters and how many verses and all that, and, and that volume's good, but personally, just personally, there is tremendous fruit from slowing down. Just slowing down because sometimes God is so much, he's just so good that he can take a word and he can stop you with it. And so that's really been the hope that over the last year you've at least gotten to experience, if you've never done this before, when you go through slowly God's word is so rich. And so we started diving back into the book of Mark last week. And last week we were wrapping up chapter 10. Now, in chapter 10, at the end of chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples come across this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus, it's so interesting because Bartimaeus, his his sight is restored. And where we left off last week is Jesus looks at him and he says, your faith, your faith has healed you. And then he says, go your way. Not go my way. He said, go your way. That is, Bartimaeus, you're free to choose. And then the next verse we read says, And Bartimaeus followed him along the road. Bartimaeus, with all this freedom to go whichever direction he wants, says, Okay, in light of who I know you to be, Jesus, I'm following you. And he follows him. And then you turn the page to Mark chapter 11, where we are this morning. And really, Mark 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, I got to be honest, I don't know if it's a road And we don't know, but I don't know if it's a road that Bartimaeus, if you had told him in advance, if it's a road he would have chosen when he was was told, go your way. Because that road, honestly, and this is really an emphasis over the next couple months here, is really a, a road less traveled. It really is. In fact, when you turn the page to Mark chapter 11 and you begin at verse 1, what we discover is that the first lesson, the first trait the first reminder that they got and you and I get on this road less traveled that Jesus is going to take to the cross is one that I, I got a reminder of a few years ago, and it's one that we all get a reminder of. This isn't going to be um, news to anybody here, but uh, our, our, I'll put it to you this way. Our, our son Lincoln, he was three years old. He came to me. 
And he was aware that I had wanted, he was three or four, he was aware that my entire life I wanted to be a firefighter. You guys have heard about that before. And I mean, I'd, I, when I was younger, I would see them. And while everybody else is like, oh yeah, there, there's the siren and let it go by, I'm like, I'm cheering like it's a football game, you know, not because of an emergency, but because of the fire department and had all these hot wheels and matchbox fire trucks and fire engines. And this is just what it was going to be. Well, you know, time went on and obviously life happens and through a series of different things, God really just showed me in my heart. That's not, that's not my road. And so Lincoln, he, he knew that, all he knew was dad wanted to be a firefighter, dad didn't become a firefighter, okay? So this is his, his young boy brain comes to me, he's like, hey dad, um, how, come you're, how come you're not a firefighter? in his three-year-old, four-year-old language. And I went, well, it just it didn't really work out. And I realized I'm trying to explain, like, this deep, like, faith journey concept to a three- or four-year-old. So I finally just said, it just didn't work out. And he was like, because you weren't brave enough. <laughs> I was like, nice. And guess what he followed up with? And now you're a pastor. <laughs> Uh, you've been humbled lately. I want to talk to you this morning about humility. Because as we turn the page from Mark chapter 10, as you turn the page, whether it's the page of the calendar, the page of this week, the page of your life, one of the first lessons, if you're going to follow Jesus down that road less traveled, the first reminder, that first thing that he instills right here in Mark chapter 11 is humility. And that's not fun for us to think about. In fact, our, our human brain, what we do is we go, oh, yeah, I'll just be humble. Right? You ever tried that? I'm just going to be humble today. Yeah, as soon as you say it, you've stopped, okay? It's just, it's just kind of how it works. And, and so as we, as we look at Mark chapter 11, just the very beginning of it this morning, I really want to point at one idea. And it's, it's simply this. If you're tired of looking at me or tired of my voice, you want to know the message, you can, you can leave right after this, this idea. But nothing crowns Jesus King like humility in the heart. Nothing crowns Jesus King like humility in the heart. And that's hard, isn't it? Because humility is not something you and I wake up and we choose. It's not really something that we have like a four-step formula for that, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to follow these things and then I'll be humble. See, humility is much more of a, of a byproduct and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But humility, the other thing about humility is you, you, discover, you discover the measure of humility in you by the, the heat of the situations it's most needed for, for which it's most required. That is, you come, against, you come up against some situations in life, and you can just pay attention real quickly to what's happening inside of you and find out about humility. It's just how it works. And I want to walk you through this morning. Jesus, it's like there's been this intentional turning toward Jerusalem. He's been saying he's going to die. He's been saying to the disciples three times, he told them, I'm going to die. He's heading to the cross. And so as he turns to head toward Jerusalem, there's actually like this entry parade. And a lot of times you'll hear this passage on a Palm Sunday, but this is where we are in Mark. And so we're going to, we're going to hear it this morning. 
Okay, you may be familiar with it. You may never have heard it before. But as you look through this, this parade of sorts, you begin to come face to face with these situations that really unearth humility or the lack of it. Not just in them, but in every single one of us. And so let me, let, let me turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what it says. As they approach, this is Jesus and his disciples. I imagine Bartimaeus was, was probably right there based on what we read at the end of Mark chapter 10. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? In other words, it's Jesus called it. I mean, we're not surprised, right? Yeah, because it's Jesus. But they've got to be thinking, oh my goodness. It's, it's like he knew. Verse 6, they answered as Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. Now, these guys would have had no idea. Or maybe, maybe, it didn't, maybe the dots didn't connect quite yet. But long before this, Zechariah had prophesied that Jerusalem, your king comes to you. And, and they would have maybe imagined like the Romans do it. This king was going to show up on a war horse. He was going to show up and he was going to take care of business because they, they had the language of salvation going on. And in their mind, we'll get to this in a minute, salvation looked a very specific way. But they didn't realize they were part of the fulfillment of this prophecy. They said, no, your king comes to you on a colt, on a donkey. Now, here's one of the, the hardest, most difficult situations when it comes to a sense of humility and cultivating humility. You want to know what is so tough is this situation right here, if you pay attention to this. Because what are the people who don't know what's going on, what are they doing? They're totally misunderstanding what the disciples are doing right here. You've been misunderstood lately? I mean, the first of those situations that just unearths and reveals humility or the lack of it in it is when our actions are misunderstood, right? Because what are you prone to do when, when your actions have been mis- misunderstood? Explain, right? You go out of your way to explain everything. This happens to me every single time we're at the store. Carol will be like, here, hold this. It's her purse. Okay, guys, you ever had to hold your wife's purse for her? I mean, everybody passing you, is, they get what's going on. But isn't there this thing inside you that's like, you want to say, it's not mine. This isn't mine. Hey, just, just want to let you know. Sometimes you, you want to go find somebody who's four rows away. They didn't, they didn't even see you. Hey, this, this, this isn't mine. Just, just want to make sure you don't think that this is mine kind of thing, right? This is just a thing that goes on inside every single one of us. Right? We're prone to explaining and over-explaining because we want to straighten out everybody else's perception of us. And so the disciples, the disciples, as they're heading into this parade in which, you know, the Romans are, sta- there's Roman guards standing around. Romans knew parades. They knew victory parades, didn't they? I mean, they'd bring in the animals, and they'd bring in the beasts, and they'd bring in those that they captured, and they'd bring in all their treasures and everything else, and they they knew how to make a show of it. 
And a king came in in a chariot, you know, pulled by war horses, not sitting on a donkey. What kind of a king was this? And if you're you're engaged in the act of carrying out service for that king, I can tell you this right now. Your actions are just going to be misunderstood. He himself was misunderstood. So how much more or how much us as his followers? Of course we're going to be misunderstood. Second situation. You see it next. Verse 7 and 8. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, when you look at these phrases and you begin to look at like original languages, you realize that what we read in our English text, kind of it can hide. It can hide for us if you don't know the meaning, what they were really shouting here. There was this nationalistic, nationalistic fervor to this. In other words, they had a very, very clear expectation of what save us meant. As we just talked about, they're imagining a military victory. They're imagining, finally, we're not going to be under the iron fist of the Romans anymore. Finally, God's people, maybe we're going to be the majority because they had just seen for generation after generation after generation that God's people were always in the minority. They were always a remnant. They were always less than everybody else. And finally, maybe this was their day. And see, this is the second thing that can test and unearth and reveal humility inside of us. It's not just, it's not just when our actions haven't been understood, but it's when our outcomes aren't what we expect. See, they had no way of knowing that this phrase they were chanting, save us, save us, save us, is exactly what this king was going to do and came to do. And they had no idea it looked nothing like they thought in their minds. You know what we're prone to? When we're misunderstood, we're prone to explanations. When, when things don't come out the way we expected, you know what we tend to do? Just tighten the grip, right? We just tighten the grip. A couple weeks ago, I was given a heads up. Um, this happens a lot, and I, I, I've, I've talked with you as a congregation about this before to please stop because it's just not good for my health, but I do it to myself. I'll bring up Oreos, and then sooner or later, I end up with like just packages of Oreos, and um, my doctors told me, knock it off, all right? Just, you got to stop. Start talking about $20 bills and stuff like that, and um, so a couple weeks ago, I was tipped off, hey, there's going to be a, uh, an Oreo present for you this year, and, and while I've said, like, hey, knock it off, in that moment, I was like, all right, one more. We can do one more. I can finish a package in an hour or so. It's easy. So, um, so I get this package this last week, and it was a, it was a gift from uh, Brad and Katie Brady. And I'm, I'm like, it's the Oreos, right? You want to know what they gave me? Totally not what I expected. Right here. Oreo socks. Yes. And every, I might just preach the rest of the sermon like this, no. And so... Every single time this week, Brad and Katie, wherever you're at, when I open my sock drawer, 
I, I, I notice the tightening of the grip of my heart. Because you know what I do? I see it. I literally see an Oreo. You just saw it. And I go, ooh, ooh. Ah, I can't eat it. Can't eat it. And it's tempting, but you can't eat it. And, and this is what happens to us. You know, we get this expectation because you have a dream and you have a hope. And there's that desire of the heart. And we start, we start running off. And, and that's, we can do that. We absolutely can do that. But if he's king, he gets to steer. He is sovereign. He is Lord. And so you can imagine all the people, they're expecting, hey, military victory, it's finally going to happen. And yet, it wouldn't be long before they discovered it was safe. It was salvation. But a completely different picture of what they had. And the question for us becomes, are we going to do this? Or can I, let, can I let up a little bit? Third situation. And this is kind of a random, random addition that really, it, it points us toward where we're going to be next week. But it, it, Mark just throws it in here real quick. And there's something to this here. This is verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, if you're familiar with this story, you know the next day Jesus is heading back to this temple. And what happened in that temple that next day absolutely infuriated the, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. Because as Jesus looked around this night before, there's no doubt he noticed that the life of the temple has settled, has become less for what God, than what God intended it for. And that next day, you'd find Jesus turning over tables. You'd find Jesus, we, we read, zealous for his father's house. As he looked around in the temple, knowing what God's heart was actually for that temple. But this night, he just looked around. He just looked around because what, what I imagine this showed Jesus was where the human heart had gone. And he already knew what was in the human heart. But what he was going to be doing was unearthing allegiances. See, that's the third situation where we really find out about humility, don't we? When our allegiances are unearthed. And a lot of times when our allegiances of the heart get unearthed, you know what we're prone to? Justifications. In fact, three of the ones I just wrote down that I just, I've just used them. At least it's not. Fill in the blank. See, Jesus looked around. He saw tables at which people, you know, there were money changers. There was commerce being carried out. He's seeing buying and selling going on, all the signs of it that night before and the next day. And it's very human for us to be like, well, it's not that bad. At least it's not fill in the blank of whatever worst sins we can think of. At least it's not. Nobody knows. In other words, when you have an allegiance in the heart, only you know it. Well, you think only you know it. But nobody can see it. And finally, <clears throat> I'm the exception. Don't we do that? Well, th this is how most people it happens for, but I'm, I'm an exception. Have you done that before? No, bunch of liars. Okay, so no, we've all done that, right? Yeah, we all like to think we're the exception. And what happens here is that th these are all situations that tend to bring us down a notch, don't they? When our actions are misunderstood, you know, when, when outcomes aren't what we expected, when our allegiances get unearthed, 
And you and I, in that moment, really face this fork in the road. We can go the road most traveled, or we can go the road less traveled. But see, being humbled doesn't feel good. And so our immediate natural human response is rise up. Okay, I've been brought down a notch. I need to push myself back up a notch. So this is when we get into our explanations and our closing the grip and our justifications. But humility, as Jesus intended it, and for Christ followers, humility doesn't just, doesn't just uh, look around and, and is brought low, but it also raises him. See, when I'm brought low and I try to raise myself up, you know what I become like? Are you guys familiar with Ken Carroll Hill, the sledding hill over here? Um, okay, just, just say yes. Okay, you do, all right? No, there's, there's a massive sledding hill about seven, eight minutes from here. And every single, we live right by there, and I notice every single winter there's, there's like a park trash can. And it's so funny because after the first couple snowstorms, you just see shards of plastic sleds in the trash can. I mean, you know, kids and kids these days, they, they don't I, look at me talking like people used to talk about me. Kids these days. All right. <laughs> I still am one. But kids jump on the sled. They try to jump. It's a saucer. You don't, Lincoln, you don't, sorry, I'm calling him out. You don't ride it down like a snowboard. It's a saucer. You sit in it. And he goes, nope, I'm doing it this way. But what we become like are those plastic little sleds that are just going over the, it's ice now, going over the ice over and over and over. And every single time that life humbles us and we try to just rise back up on our own strength, you know what you do? You become brittle. You become so brittle that eventually you fall apart. And we've had like three sleds just completely fall apart. That's what you become like. You want to know what does really, really well on Ken Carroll Hill? Tubes. Tubes do well as long as you're not sledding through all the sticks. You'd be amazed how many kids try to sled through the tube through the sticks. That's a totally different sermon. Anyway, but they just do really, really well. I mean, anybody who's on a tube has a gentle, enjoyable ride pretty much all the way to the bottom of this hill. It's amazing. That's a tip if you go sledding at Ken Carroll Hill. See, that's what humility does as you go through this life, as you go down a road less traveled. Humility, humility is an opportunity. You'll see this in your notes. Humility is an opportunity to let Jesus rule where we'd most like to, to let Jesus rule where we'd most like to, and is cultivated in practices that exalt Jesus, not ourselves. And when you do that, you know what happens? That journey, that ride, it's like a tube. I'm not saying it's just like soft and billowy all the time. I'm saying it's a much lighter burden. This is what Jesus was getting at. You can do it my way, and it's a very different journey for you. And so how do we do this? How do we do this? Actually, the very text we just looked at holds up three, three different practices that I believe culti- cultivate humility. Because in the midst of the situation, we learn. We learn from our Lord and what he sent those to do. The first one is this. You serve. Come back to verse 6 for a minute. They answered Jesus as, listen to this phrase, as Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. Isn't it amazing how that worked? They answered as Jesus had told them to. 
not their idea, not what they wanted, not what they think it should be, not according to their plan, as Jesus had told them to. You remember this, right? When you were a kid, mom and dad tell you to put your coat away, what do you do? There, I did it. I think I still do that. But what happens is we just, we come up with our own way. They answered as Jesus told them to. You know what that means for serving? It means what he has laid out for us, we do it. And what we, it's not according to our measure of the task that's in front of us. It's according to our measure of the one who has tasked us. There's a major, major difference. Keep in mind, what Jesus was sending the disciples to do was no ordinary task. It looked ordinary on the surface. What, a, don- a colt? He wants to go get a donkey? What about a war horse? No, this was tied to something that had been prophesied long before that moment. We carry it out and we serve not according to our measure of the task, but according to our measure of the one who sends us to serve. Second thing is we move through praise. Praise. Listen to the praises of the people. And then I want to I show you something. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, the most interesting thing to me about this is we, we can gather that they had a, a very specific picture of what them being saved would look like. But they're giving this praise before it ever happened. They're giving the praise before it ever happened. I got to be honest. You want to know how it's gone for me for a long, long time? I pray, I pray. I pray, Lord, do it, Lord, do it, Lord, do it, Lord, do it. And then if it happens, according to the way I thought, I praise. And I just recently have been incredibly actually humbled by the fact that I am, I'm an infant when it comes to praise. Yet we read in Scripture, he inhabits the praises of his people. And I had to look in the mirror and go, how often am I praising you, Lord? Am I praising you as much as I'm praying to you, asking you to take care of this and give that and protect this? And yet they praised in advance. And no, it probably wasn't going to look, it, it didn't look like what they thought, but that didn't matter to them at the moment, in that moment. They were praising him. And so, praise Praise before you ever see the promise. Praise before it ever comes about. Finally, one more. Worship. Worship. Read verse 11 again. Jesus entered Jerusalem. Now, if you were to jump over to the book of Luke, you know what you'd find out? He expands on this. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, you know what he's doing? He's weeping. He's weeping because, yes, there was a crowd of some size here that was praising him. But as he looked out over Jerusalem, he's weeping. Because out there in the city were multitudes who maybe they'd heard of him and they didn't care. Maybe he knew the state of their heart and they didn't realize who he was. And he wept for them. He wept. See, we think of worship and we think of music here on a Sunday morning. But worship, a heart of worship, 
also looks out at people and has God's heart for them. That's the first part of worship. And the second part, you see, as the verse continues, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. He looked around at everything. I have to think that nothing is more fitting for our practice of worship than to let him come in to the temple of the heart and look around. In fact, King David said it this way. He said, search me, God. Search me. I used to read that and think, oh yeah, God searches us so that God can discover something new about us. And you find out, no, that's, that's not what David was getting at. Search me, Lord, and show me. Could we pray that prayer? Lord, search me. Come in. Look around in my heart. You know, where have I been buying and selling? And where have I given some, some things a place in my heart that maybe have no business being there? And as we'll be there next week, as we reference Jesus turning over tables, can he turn over some tables of the heart in every single one of us? See, serving and praise and worship, you know what those will do? Those will begin to cultivate humility. Because you know what they do? They put him and his presence right there at the forefront of our lives. You know, we'd like to sit on the throne and we'd like to rule, but they exalt him. And in doing so, in doing so, it's not lost on us. And I know they weren't perfect, but the disciples who went and got this donkey, once again, it's like two weeks in a row now, disciples. You didn't argue. It's like the second time now in the book of, our, of Mark that the, the disciples decided not to argue or put up a fight with what Jesus was telling them to do. You know why? Because their time in his presence was beginning to cultivate humility. And the same thing that happened for them is the same thing he does for us. And so it's fitting that on this Sunday, it's Connection Sunday. If you walked in and you were like, what is going on in here? It's Connection Sunday. If you're new to the church and you're looking for a way to connect more deeply than, than the Sunday morning worship service, there are loads of options out there. And here's what I've discovered, and you, you hear this over and over and over. When you listen to somebody's testimony, you know what you often hear? Serving, praise, and worship. And you know what it often happens in the context of? People. Right? We think people are obstacles, and Jesus goes, no, no, no. It's, it's in the context of people that you can serve. It's in the context of people, the body of Christ, that you learn to praise him. It's in the context of people as a body of Christ that we worship. And so I'd encourage you to, I, I know we got a few minutes, a few minutes extra. This morning we're getting done a few minutes early. I'd encourage you to use a few minutes to go look around and prayerfully consider where could I connect. Let me pray for you as the worship team comes back up. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for Mark chapter 11, the verses 1 through 11 that we've discussed this morning. But Lord, thank you that you're a, you're a God who, as we said earlier, you inhabit the praises of your people. And so Lord, as we look at whether it's praise or worship or serving, Lord, would you look around, look around our hearts and begin to just unearth 
whether or not people understand, whether or not we're clinging to control, whether or not we've not been letting you in, would you come in and just illuminate and unearth exactly what it is you want to do? You truly are our example of humility. And while we like to go about it in a very human way, Lord, nothing cultivates humility like just being in your presence. And so, Lord, cultivate humility in us individually and as a people so that we could truly continue to show the world we have crowned you king. And there is a reason for that because it is full of life abundant now and forevermore. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.